told me that I needed to make 15. Which one of you? Yeah, I should have been We might need to make more copies. Alright, let's pray. Lord, thank you for gathering us here to fellowship together, to learn about you and to open your word and truly um, seek your presence, your knowledge, your wisdom, and all that you're doing. Lord, um, we're, we're grateful that you, you've been gathered here by the, by the name of Christ to learn about what it means to be the church. So we ask you, the head of the church, to dispense upon us the wisdom by your spirit to build us up as a church that honors you and glorifies you and brings the world the good news of the gospel. So be with us as we dig in to your word and bless us and conform us into the image of the Son of Christ Jesus in his name we pray. Amen. So I, I wanted us to kind of do an overview again, or a review of where we were, because I know we're meeting every two weeks, and the way that we're doing these sessions is more conversational as well. Um, not necessarily teaching, um, more, more of a teaching of, uh, of the church's anatomy is what we started looking at. Who remembers what we um, looked at last week? Or two weeks ago, last time we met. If you weren't here, and answer it, then you get an extra credit. That means you actually, yeah, you have the supernatural ability of following us on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast. But anybody remember? Yeah, the skeleton, the skeleton of, of the church, yes. Holiness was one of them. Yeah, personal holiness is, is definitely the skeleton. So where we started, and I'm just revising, uh, and I, I heard some people actually went out and bought a book that I said that I was using to kind of give you a framework of that, uh, of where we are, um, which, is, which is great. And if you have that book and you've read it, then next time you can teach it. Uh, but um, yeah. We know what a church is, right? Not necessarily. A lot of us have been part of churches because we've kind of grown up with church or somebody invited us to church. Um, but what exactly makes up a church? Because what we're doing is we're gathering together and we're trying to plant a church. We use that term very loosely, trying to plant because um, only the Lord can plant a church. But isn't a church plant? The Lord is actually, we are, in a sense, the seeds of that, that, that church plant. Um, and so as the Lord is planting this church, the Remnant Bible Church, um, we want to we be as obedient and as biblical in our approach to that. Um, so we're taking this uh, series on the church's anatomy, which is a the theological word is up there on your handout, ecclesiology, right? 
um, which is the study of the church. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Um, so in that study of the church, we see the nature of the church, the worship and the members of the church, the practical matters of the church, its, its polity, its offices, its pastoral care. It's a broader umbrella of, um, of systematic theology or like a subset of systematic theology, ecclesiology is. Um, but within that, we're even breaking it down and we're saying, like, what makes up a church? And we made a case for, a biblical case for, the church is referred to as the, what, what is the church referred to? The body of Christ, right? And, and we kind of honed in that word, the body. And the body has, like the study of the body is called anatomy, right? The anatomy of the church, the anatomy of the body of Christ. What, that, what does that look like? So we started looking at, okay, what, what is the anatomy made out of? We, we have the skeletons, framework where our bodies stand and then we have internal systems and then we also have different functions the muscles that serve to move around and then we have the flesh that, that, that actually like when I see you I know who you are because of like what you look like that's that's kind of like the flesh and most of us have a pretty good understanding of the uh, the flesh honestly because we know what like what the church looks like what the different programs um, are like Bible study on Fridays or like midweek Bible study or prayer or Sunday service, dog fellowship, whatever. Like we know the programs, but not a lot of people really have uh, an understanding of what is the biblical view of like different functions the church is supposed to have. What is what does God teach us about that? What are the certain attitudes, which is the internal systems of the Bible? What does that look like? What are the non-negotiable skeleton? The skeleton is a bone, right? Like, if you want to actually change the structure of the skeleton, you have to break the bone or take it out of the socket, right? And then that that would hurt, obviously. So, the reason why the skeleton, the framework, is the first thing that we talked about last week is because those are the non-negotiables. Then we talked about those non-negotiables being a high view of God, a church that is biblical um, and its and its anatomy must have a high view of God. It must have the scripture as its final authority, not just in word, but also in action, practically as well. Um, we, uh, we, we looked at, at a church, uh, what, what else? A holiness was one that, that you brought up. There was five things that we looked at, that we said three already. What else? Anybody remember? If you're taking notes last time. Is spiritual authority. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, yes. That's why I left that out there. To see how many of you were following the teaching, right? Doctrine just means teaching. Um, so like those, um, so we have high view of God. We have the authority of scripture. We have sound doctrine. We have personal holiness, a commitment to that, and then spiritual authority, which means like there is a biblical, biblically qualified leaders within that church. Those are the structures, the framework that that make up the skeleton of the church, which these are these cannot be negotiated, right? Without without you breaking them or taking them out of joint, um, which would compromise the health of the church itself. 
now we have that structure. Today, what I want us to start on, and if you bear with me, is um, the internal systems. I know last time we looked at the entirety of the skeleton portion of it, but there's so many internal systems, right? The internal systems of the body is made out of like so many things, and each thing has a subset, right? The different systems, think of it, right? You have the central nervous system, for instance, right? In terms of brain activity. Um, and then you have the peripherals nervous system. And then within the peripheral nervous system, you have a subset that, that's there. I'm not a biologist nor have I played one on TV. But <laughs> what I'm saying is these attitudes um, are really vast and in, in, in there. Um, there's too many of them. So we won't be able to finish that today. But you would bear with me. And I think it's really, really important as we look into it to see why it's important that we consider these and take our time with it. Because the essence of the Christian faith is distinct from a lot of different religions or philosophical worldviews. Because it's not centered in rule following, right? The Christian faith is not like, you do this, and I do this, and you do that, and you do that, and then you go to heaven. That's not, that's not the Christian thing. Like, come to church, listen to Bible studies, uh, read your Bible, uh, pray for five times a day so that God can approve you and, and, and invite you into his kingdom. That's not the basics of Christian theology. Christian theology is actually the opposite of that. Yeah, there are laws to follow, right? They, like, we're not antinomians. Uh, we're not against following rules or the laws of God. But truly, Christian belief, the Christian faith, is a result of a new disposition, a new heart, a new kind of attitude that comes from inside out. So the reason why we follow God's laws is because we want to. We have the attitude to follow those. We have a new heart. God gives us a new heart uh, through faith in Christ and repentance. And then as a result of that, that's why we follow it. Not the other way around. It's not outside in, it's inside out. It's something that springs out of the inner being. The Christian life and the Christian faith is something that springs out of the inner being of the soul. Consider this, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Our Lord is asked the question. Teacher, they ask him, which is the great commandment in the law? Again, what law should we, could, should we follow so that we can be considered righteous? That's the question here. And he said to him, what's the greatest law? Anybody know, by the way? Love your neighbor is one of what is it? Okay, the Ten Commandments are, are, are summarized. The Lord just summarizes it in two. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your mind. Right? And then the second one is the same. Okay, now it's it. Love your neighbor. You notice that Christ is teaching 
here's the law. The law has something to do with your attitude towards God and your attitude towards people. Like the rule that you need to follow is not something outwardly. Like don't steal, don't don't kill, don't 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 commit adultery, don't commit those things. I mean, he had a whole sermon about it. I'm not. I refer you to Matthew chapter five, and in terms of how he was so focused about the heart and attitude. But even in this summary, he's telling us, like. The faith of following Christ has to come from within. It's about your attitude. And that's why it's so important for us to consider this. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. In And Mark actually records this in a very similar way as, as, as Matthew does. But he goes further as to what this, the scribe that asked him that question said in response to what Jesus said. Mark chapter 12, verse 32, 34. And the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And you, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than burnt offering and sacrifices. Duh, you're talking to Jesus, dude. He's like, yeah, you're right, Jesus. Like, of course he's right. <laughs> like, he's divine, right? <laughs> like, you've gotten to preach into the choir here. So Jesus looks at him, and, and, and Jesus saw that, and this is amazing. And he had answered, Jesus saw that he had answered thoughtfully. And he said to him, you are not from far from the kingdom of God. So the guy was so close because he understood it's about attitude. It's about the heart being changed, having a heart that, that loves God perfectly and loves their neighbor perfectly. And Jesus says, yes, if you have that attitude, you've gotten real close to it. You're right, or you're right there. You're almost there. That's what he's saying. So since the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God on earth as the called out ones, the ecclesia, ek kaleo, the body needs an internal system that is focused on certain spiritual attitudes. Like as the body of God, as the body of Christ, should I say, we need to be we need to cultivate this spiritual attitude and these internal systems within the church are the ones that will lead us to proper behavior. You want to behave like Christians? You don't become Christians because you behave like Christians. We don't become Christians or we don't go get into the kingdom because we, we behaved like kingdom citizens. But because we are kingdom citizens, then we behave. Which means it's an inside-out approach, as I was saying earlier. Um, like, what ends up happening is proper attitude leads to proper behavior. The 
right attitudes that are in our hearts are the right are, are, are um, the result of the right attitude is what I'm trying to say. Is right behavior. Now you can have right behavior and bad attitude. You know that. <laughs> right? You can do you can do rightly on the outside. Wrong intention, wrong motivation, wrong attitude. You won't, you won't ultimately get the reward for it, or you won't become the better for it. So the vitality of the church, the liveliness, the energy, the spirit, the passion, the driving force of the church as the body of Christ flows out of this attitude that we're going to start looking at today finish them whenever that is. And as a church, and you have this one um, on your handout, this is what we're going to be committed to, to cultivating these spiritual attitudes in our hearts. And as much as the Holy Spirit enables us, by the way, we're not doing that by our own understanding or by our own words, because there is a danger whereby we can try to cultivate these things by our own means, but this is not our church. This is Christ's church. This is not man's church. This is not anybody's church except for Jesus Christ, right? And he administers this church. He is the head of the church, and his spirit is the one who cultivates these attitudes in us and through us and among us. So in as much as the Holy Spirit enables us, we will be committed to cultivating these attitudes through his power, and through his word. That's our commitment. So I want to give that to you up front. Because if the right at, uh, spiritual attitudes are present, then we're going to be spirit-controlled people who do spirit-led things and conform to the biblical pattern of the church. Who in here wants to be spirit-controlled person? Show of hands. Yeah. Who wants to do spirit-led things and conform to the pattern? Because that's what we want to do. We want to have the pattern of the biblical pattern of of, of the church. We want, we hear that a lot. We want to be like the Bible, the church that we saw in in Acts chapter two. That's great. That's that's awesome. By the way, it wasn't a perfect church even in Acts chapter two. Because if you continue to read, you see that people were withholding money and provisions from like a certain group of Jews, and then they had to institute a whole new office in the church that the Lord had to through His apostle, um, a whole new office called the deacons, so that they could make sure that people weren't taking advantage of one another. Right? So it wasn't a perfect church. We just get a. Like it's not it's not as far removed now, so we don't have a lot of room for error there. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to have a pattern of a biblical church, that's what we have to be. Spirit-led people who are doing spirit-led things that comes from within by cultivating these attitudes. Any questions thus far or any comments? Yes. Um, so when you said there's many of them, so are we going over like one that's 
that one. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I, I got I got stuck. Please bear with me. Like, th so the first two attitudes are obedience and humility, and then the third one is love, and the fourth one is willingness to serve one another, and and then like I couldn't even get past the first two this week in my preparation, because I mean, I, I, I mean, think of obedience, and you'll see why as I as, as we as we go forward. Um, but yeah, we're we're going to. I was hoping we'd get through obedience and humility, and I don't think we will unless you guys have an extra four hours to spend. Uh, <laughs> um, but I want to be as faithful to the time that we're given us as possible. So we're we just look at obedience this week, and then hopefully I can try to like, bear with me with the first three at least. Um, and then we can kind of pick up the pace. I have a professor at, um, for our Old Testament survey, or our Old Testament studies professor, uh, who spent the first four weeks going over Genesis only. And we're supposed to look at Genesis of the Old Testament, not the prophets, but like we're supposed to look at the entirety of the Old Testament. And like oh, almost 20% or 25% of the classics were spent in Genesis. Um, because it's so foundational. Everything else, after that, as you zoom, like, but he just wanted to make sure that he laid the right foundation. And he just kept, keeps on saying, even to, to now. Um, he, he's like, just, just bear with me. We're going to go fast today. And then like, we, we go through like four chapters. Like, what is this? Like, we're still here. But, but I'm, 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 I'm loving it. I'm, I'm in no rush. But kind of bear with me is what I'm getting at. That was a long answer to a really deep question. So with that being said, anybody else, by the way? So let's look at the first, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to ask what you said So with that being said, if we're going to cultivate these attitudes or with the first internal system that we're going to look at, first spiritual attitude we're going to look at is obedience. Because an obedient attitude is an essential attitude. It's a central condition. All the other attitudes where we're going to look at are going to be founded on this, this attitude of obedience. And the best analogy from the human anatomy that I can actually get to is the nervous system, 
whether it's the central nervous system or the um, peripheral uh, nervous system, if I'm pronouncing that right, right? Like those are the ones that control your brain and your, like the way that your body communicates to one another from your, from your breathing, all of that. So obedience is kind of like the nervous system because if your nervous system is shot, then you're basically non-existent. One or the other. You're not going to exist in a way that you're supposed to. So that's why I keep saying obedience is kind of a big deal. And, and the Lord has been um, really teaching me a lot about obedience um, because the central nervous system really is responsible for coordinating every movement according to Google and action of the body. That's what Google told me. I Google central nervous system. I said it's responsible for coordinating every movement and action of the body. And obedience works the same way. And I went from Google to this John MacArthur. Here's what he writes. <laughs> it's, it's a leap there. Even though I think John MacArthur probably can get Google around for his money. He's a physical tree. He says this about, about obedience. Obedience is the all-pervasive attitude that makes all other spiritual virtues possible. Like, if you want to have any other spiritual virtue, you can't have them. It's, it's virtually impossible to have any other spiritual virtue unless you're obedient, is what he's trying to get. Unless obedience, there's an obedient attitude in our hearts that is being worked out by the Holy Spirit, not by our own selves. You can't have any other spiritual virtue. Can you throw out a spiritual virtue that you can think of off the top of your head right now? Anybody? Just shout it out. Love. love. Can you love without being obedient? It's not a Can you truly love without being obedient? Anything else? Any other spiritual virtue? Just shout it out. Patience. Yes. Uh, it can be a fruit to the spirit. Any any kind of virtue, like you, know, you can say humility, patience, whatever you think is virtuous. Right? But that's that's a good start, by the way. But can, can you be patient without being obedient? Because patience is going to require you to be really, really obedient. Especially love and patience. Out there. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, sure. Can you control yourself without being obedient? Can anybody make a case for that? I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, that's really where we are, right? This is actually, I think it's in, um, I might have put that in your handout as well. But essentially, you, you can't bear any of the, the fruit of the Spirit without first being obedient. 
And that's why obedience comes first. That's why obedience is this all-pervasive attitude that makes all other spiritual virtues possible according to um, John MacArthur that those are present. And to cultivate this obedient attitude, God's word must fill our hearts and our minds. Because you can't, what are you going to be obedient to? <laughs> that's the next question. Like, if, if we can agree that obedience is an, an essential attitude for all other attitudes, what are you going to be obedient to? Like, you're either going to be obedient to, to your desires, or you're going to be obedient to something else, which is the Word of God. And as a church, what, what is our skeleton? What is the framework of a church? The non-negotiable truth is that we are going to be committed to have the scriptures, the revealed word of God, as the final authority anyways, right? So that's what we're going to be obedient. And if, if we're going to be obedient, his word must fill our hearts and our minds. That way, we know what we're being obedient to or disobedient to because that's the standard. The standard is God's word for obedience. Does that make sense? Questions so far? No? By the way, if you have questions in the middle, you can interrupt. Yes. Go ahead. You guys are so obedient. Good job, man. Yeah, this, this, this attitude wouldn't have been able to be out with an obedient. Self-control is the ability to, to make yourself resist things as it relates to your obedience to God's will, right? So you're, you're essentially, you call it self-control, but you're really not controlling yourself. It's really the Holy Spirit exercising His control over your life, if, if that makes sense, right? And the way that the Holy Spirit exercises his control over you and therefore you're being controlling yourself because you're responsible for it. Like he's the one doing that over you but you're responsible to be obedient enough to exercise that self-control. Let's say I, I have like let's take a practical example. I have road rage and I need to control myself. If I'm not obedient I'm not. sure. I, I mean have I had road rage in the past? Sure, I have. <laughs> I'm not saying that this is this is a besetting sin for me, right? I'm just giving an example um, that most of us can relate to, living in a DMV, and especially the M drivers are really triggering. God bless them. We pray for them. Um, right? Um, so, <laughs> anyways, like. Why am I not saying choice words to the person that just cut me off? Look at me all like that. We've adopted you, so. You're, you're one of us, that's okay. Right? Why, why, are you, why, are you, why am I not doing that? Because in doing so, 
I am breaking the, the greatest commandment. I'm not being loving to this guy. And the Lord has commanded me that this is what the law means. So I have to be obedient so that I can exercise self-control. And instead of saying some choice words to him, I can turn around and pray for him. Or I can decide to just not even let me be bothered. Does that, does that make sense? It's the Holy Spirit that's doing it, but I'm responsible to actually act it out. That's the self-control aspect of it, and you, have, you do it by being obedient to the will of God as is revealed in, in Scripture. So if Scripture is not filling my mind and my heart, though, if in my mind and my heart the only thing that's filling me is, like, I need to get to work on time or, like, I got to get mine by any means necessary, if that's what's building my mind and my heart, that's what the mother. Then obviously, you're going to be like, say some um, choices. Um, is this like obedient as like being like actually what are we actually obedient in action, or is it like like an attitude of being obedient, like willing, like wanting to be willing to obey? Like yes. Which one? <laughs> because the attitude is going to be is going to lead to the action, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's not just an external um, conforming into what God expects us to do. It's to have that attitude, that 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 heart on the inside that 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 has the freedom to choose to actually act out in obedience or not. Mm-hmm. And then based on the love, based on that attitude that the Lord works out in us. Then we, we act out. So it's it's both connected, but more on the inside because we're we're talking about an, an attitude. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're not necessarily saying actions or performances or behaviors that are because ultimately if these actions, performances, behaviors are void of like a really deep rooted spirit produced obedience, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Right? What ends up happening is hypocrisy and legalism. It's just a bunch of rule following. I came here, I did this, I did that, and then we become legalistic in our in our view towards one another. And we become very hypocritical um, in, 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 our, in our spiritual walk. Kind of like what the Pharisees did, right? And the scribes did. And th- th- those are the people that are coming, by the way, when we think of hypocrisy, what do you think of? If you have to define hypocrisy. Uh, self-justification. Self-justification, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a form of it. Not being free. Not being free, okay. Yes. Yeah. Does that, does that resonate, by the way? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what we think of mostly, right? When we think when somebody's being a hypocrite, they say one thing but they do another. So, based on that, by the way, based on that definition, did did you know? Based on that definition, Paul was a hypocrite even after he was saved, according to Romans seven, for instance, right? Right. So hypocrisy in, in a biblical term, yeah, there is a sense by which that you say one thing, but it's actually, it goes deeper than what you actually say. The hypocrisy, the biblical 
definition of hypocrisy actually focuses on your condition of your heart, which is based on self-reliance, self-righteousness, myself leading myself, but acting as if God is leading me. Right? Like over here, this is this is who I really am on the inside, but I'm gonna act a different way on the outside. So I may even be saying the right things outside. And that's what the Pharisees did, by the way. I mean, the scribe that we read about in Mark, right? He tells them, hey, you say they're right. God is one, and you must love him with everything you have, and must love your neighbor. That's, that's it. That's the law. You got it, Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, you said the right thing, so you're really, really close. I don't know if that man was saved or not. Scriptures that don't tell us, but he's really, really close because he said the right things. And the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the scribes were saying the right things. Like when they say we're children, the children of Abraham, for instance, to, to the Lord, they weren't saying the wrong thing. We're Jews. But what Jesus was rebuking them, and he says, No, you are you are of your father, the devil, he's looking even past what they say and the internal attitudes and who they are in the depth of their soul, but they acted as if some, something is, right? So that that's that's hypocrisy. So like those actions and performances and behaviors that are void of this deep-rooted, like I was saying, spirit-produced obedience is going to lead us to be, like on the inside there's really nothing but dead whitewashed tombs is what he calls them, right? Looks good on the outside, but on the inside is dead. And those are harsh words. That's what hypocrisy is um, in, in terms of that. And we don't want to be that. In the church, if anything, <laughs> the church is called to be careful of this kind of hypocrisy. Beware, Jesus says, Matthew 16, 6. Watch out and beware of the laven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they thought he was talking about bread and yeast and stuff like that. And then he explains it to them. It takes five verses to explain to them. He had some smart cookies following him. I think I have I have hope that they, that they were right there with Jesus and they it took five verses to explain it to them. And then they finally got it. Uh, that's encouraging for me. It's 2000 and something years later. Then in Matthew 16, 12, then they understood that what he said, when he said, beware of the Laban, is not about bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that, that attitude that they had. So we're, as a church, we're called to be careful of that. And since the head, the Lord, the master of the church is Christ, it is through obedience that we prove to him that he is. Okay. Who's the head of the church? Who's the Lord of the church? Who's the master of the church? Yeah, we could be saying that. How do we prove it then that he is really the Lord? Not to be saved by doing what he says, right? Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord? Actually, not just once. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. I mean, these are, these are his words. 
So when we talk about obedience, this is not a ritualistic or legalistic or a checklist of obedience. I woke up at six this morning, I read five chapters in my reading plan on the Bible app, and then, which I didn't, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm giving you an example, I'm not saying I did these things, right? And then I prayed for 15 minutes, then uh, I came to church, and I was listening to gospel music, or hymns, or spiritual songs, whatever, on my way in. I didn't curse anybody out, even though they cut me off. And I pulled up in church, and I gave people hugs, and, and, and I was happy, and, and then I sat here. These things are, by the way, they're great things. But we're not just checking them off to say, to prove to Jesus, okay, here's here's my receipt. <laughs> you see, you see what I did. Now accept me. So the obedience that we're talking about is not this checklist of obedience, so that we can give it to Jesus and throw it up in His face, like we tend to do whenever our bosses say something or our parents used to give us chores to do. It's like I did this, I did this, I did this. Now leave me alone. This is a part of our nature. This is who we are as, as children of God. Like when God adopts us into his family, and we become his children, God gives us a new nature, a new heart. Peter picks up on it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. If you want to turn there and look at it. He refers to the Christians like he tells them, as obedient children. Like it's already a given. <laughs> like he's that's an assumption that like, hey. You're Christians? Okay, I'm writing to you guys. You guys are Christians. You believe, and you've been given a, a new life through the regeneration of, of the Spirit, and, and, and now you have new life. And how, how should we behave then? That's the question that he's answering here. He tells them, as obedient children, not being conformed to the form of lust, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your conduct. So do you want to be holy in all your conduct, the way that you do things? What is assumed in, in, in that? That you are acting as obedient children. Obedience is, a, is, is where all of your conduct, your holy conduct flows out of. That attitude. Obedience is the spiritual attitude by which the church is transformed. So what Peter is really saying is, now you have become Christians, don't live like the way that you were living before you were Christians. But live as obedient children live. And I think we have a pretty good understanding of what an obedient and disobedient child is. Because we were either one of those two at one point not both in different circumstances. And 
we're either obedient children or disobedient children or both. I think both is probably a more appropriate thing because we were never perfectly obedient to our parents. Yes. very frequently 
not 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 to visit prisoners, but he was he was one of the prisoners. And then what they did is when somebody committed murder, they would literally chain the person that they killed to them, and that's their sentence. They served the rest of the sentence with the dead carcass of the person that they killed to themselves. And they, they, they when they go to the bathroom, guess what? They're reminded like they have the physical, and then imagine the decaying and the smell and all of that. Yeah. Um, See, aren't you, aren't you glad that we didn't eat before? I mean, we ate before, or we didn't eat after the word, because that, would, that definitely would have killed my appetite. So Paul even says, like, this, this body that causes me to do the things that I, want, I don't want to do, or that causes me to not do the things that I want to do, is kind of like having that. That's the flesh. That's the struggle, right? That it makes you and then you're kind of obedient to it. But there's this, there's this attitude. The attitude is still there. That, 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 like, you're not there. You're not comfortable there. That's the difference. As an obe- obedient child. An obedient child, as soon as they become disobedient, the parents don't even have to tell them that they were disobedient. Like, they know immediately when they broke the rules or when they did something against the will of the parents. And so when the parent comes and says, what did you do? The first instinct is, I'm sorry. The first instinct is, what did I do? He did it. No, but, but, but this happened and then did that happen? That's not what an obedient child does. An obedient child will own up to it. That's the difference. Because we have this obedient attitude being built in us by the Holy Spirit inside of us. He's the one that's working this stuff out. He's the one that gives us this, even this obedient um, attitude. I think Michelle, you had a question. One question. I'm also like, I'm just Yeah. Um, I heard you saying, and I always forget about it, but you're in, in, in these terms, like, um, it says like, like to renew your mind, right, in the Bible. Um, and what, it's called like, head, heart, hand, or renewing of your mind, or what, what that says, so you be a changed heart, because by his word is what he had, like from his word is how we even first heard of the gospel, right? And then as we are renewing our mind and our heart is changing, there's an outpouring in our hands of like how we serve one another, but also serve God in the way we're serving him. I usually add to that feet. By the way, doesn't have the H A P. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. What's the feet? Like you actually go and spread the gospel, right? Where you go, um, like you don't just do the thing and then be content with doing the thing that you love because you know, but you're also going to to evangelize. Say it again. Wouldn't it be seed for this generation for Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. It can be seed for computers too. <laughs> Instead of hands, because we don't work with our hands. Laptops are helpful. But yeah, um, great points, guys. I'm really enjoying this. I'm being edified as I hope you are. 
Um, just two more pages of notes there. <laughs> bear, bear with me. Um, but this is more practical, right? Um, uh, obedience is the spiritual attitude by which the church is transformed. We, we talked about that. If we want to be transformed, we have to be obedient. Right? Not necessarily in rule keeping. Again, I'm, I'm just rehashing that because like our mind automatically defaults to that. You hear obedience, you're like rule keeping. I'm talking about the like the actual deep rooted spirit um, produced kind of obedience that's in our heart. That's what transforms us as individuals and as a as a church. Yes. It's not, it's not an end or. It's a both end. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm tangled up there too, man. Like I'm telling you, I can, I can barely, it's, it's so tangled together, right? Like, it's like, which one came first? Chicken or the, uh, or the egg type of thing, right? Of course the chicken might say. <laughs> and then somebody will say, but from one egg. But that's not what that's not what we are. But it's it's almost kind of like the conundrum is there, right? It's like, are you obedient because the Holy Spirit is transforming you, or are you going to be transformed as a result of your obedience? Yes, because the Holy Spirit has transformed you, you have the the capacity and the attitude of obedience towards Christ. But as that attitude is being worked out in you, you become more obedient. So he's both the cause and the effect, ultimately, of obedience, if you, if you will. That's the, the like, yes, final analysis that I've gotten to where I, I didn't have to you know, be the remainder or not. But does that make sense? So you're saying, like, also you're being transformed in your continual obedience. Exactly. So that attitude is there. That the, the, even the capacity, I think I, I get to I get to it in, in a little while. You have before you are saved. I think of it before you are saved. You could not have an obedient attitude. There was no way that you were going to have an obedient attitude towards Christ because you're dead in trespassing sin. And last time I checked, there was only how many things that dead person could. do? Are you sure? Are you sure? I can think of one thing. What is it? That's it. Yeah. Right. So you can you couldn't be obedient. You couldn't have this attitude of obedience. Now, the Lord supernaturally regenerates to give you new life. Now you have this this capacity. To, to be obedient because he has transformed you in a way that he has set you apart. It's kind of like the, the, um, the, 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 the teaching of uh, sanctification, right? Sanctification is to be set apart. 
he has to set you apart to save you, but he continually, there's, there's, a, there's a sense where sanctification happens at the point of your conversion, but there's also a level of sanctification that happens over time until you get to the glorified state. So the same thing is, is true in terms of your attitude of obedience. Because before you were you were dead in, in sin and trespasses, you couldn't be obedient. But now you can be obedient. And the more you're being obedient, you're kind of like being transformed this, from glory to glory, if that makes sense. But 
here's how Paul reconciles it, and I'll give you my summary, and then we'll, uh, we'll read the scripture. What Paul says in, Rome, in uh, Galatians chapter 5 is that we're essentially, we're set free so that we can obediently fulfill the law. And you draw that out from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, where he says, for you were called to freedom. Great. I'm free to do whatever, you know, like, I don't have to be rule-keeping and checklisting or whatever, right? Okay. Brothers, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So the freedom to which you're freed is to do this. What is it? But through love, serve one another. Because for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So it's, it's, it's about being set free to obey, but being able to be set free to obey Christ. That is such an imaginable privilege that Christ has given to his church. And the way by which we communicate that is by being obedient to his will. And to that end, we will strive have this obedient attitude that's on your hand up as a commitment towards Christ as the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Scripture to our hearts. And what I'm saying is when the Holy Spirit teaches you something from, 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 from Scripture and when the Holy Spirit teaches you, period, that I've been aware of, that this is not a common thing for us to do. Like we hear things, we might even agree with it, but when it comes to application, we have 2,075 excuses on why we can apply it. Like we get it, we understand it. We might even like have an affection towards what we understand. But for that obedience circle to kind of complete the circuit, so to speak, you have to actually do it. Right? It's not just enough to say, yes, this is what I learned today. It's not just enough to say, I think what I learned today is right and I love it. That circuit is closed when you actually do what you learn. Here's one of my favorite ones. And I struggle with this almost every week, and you'll, I think you'll get one. You hear something, and you're like, yes, man, I wish such and such was here. And here it is. Man, this is a word for, no, this is a word for me. When we do that, we just become unaffected conduits. 
just passes through us with kind of like syringes. Like we take the medicine and we, we administer it, but the syringe doesn't actually get any kind of benefit from the medicine inside of it, right? And you can kind of see why I, I struggle because as I'm studying scripture and what have you, sometimes I'm like, I'm thinking, Think of your maturity as, as an adult, your maturity level. Like you knew the things you know about life when you were like 14, 15, for instance. There are some truths that you knew since you've been like a kid. But you didn't actually benefit from them until you actually took what you knew about those principles and started applying them to your life. Like study habits, for instance, for those of you that are in college. Your parents taught you, the teachers told you that good studying habits are going to benefit you for the long run, and then you didn't have them. But as soon as you started practicing it, you started seeing the results, and then that's where your maturity comes. So if we're going to be a spiritual and mature church, or those who are striving towards spiritual maturity, for the glory of God, this is going to be our commitment to strive to have an obedient attitude towards Christ as the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Scripture to our hearts for the glory of God and for our own spiritual maturity. Questions? Yes. You talked about obedience in the context of obedience to Scripture, but how important is obeying God's leadership? Godly what? Um, and, 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 and as much as they are biblical, because that is one of those that, that is one of those um, skeletal structures, right? Is spiritual authority. So, and, and as much as it's biblical, obviously, I mean that that is. By the way, when you when you obey godly leaders in a church, you're actually obeying scripture because scripture does say. Hey, church and Hebrews, obey those who are, you know, First Thessalonians. Give them honor. Give them, give them respect. Obey them even. Like th that exact word, obedience to, towards your leaders, is something that Scripture commands us to do. So, you know, I mean, directly and indirectly, you're, you're, 
It's just an indirect way of holding scripture. Yes. Yes. Drilling down the application of these uh, Paul mentions the sword on the side that the Lord has had in the mentioned Paul can essentially provide Paul as an example for not being right? And you just mentioned that the goal and the commitment of each other is to strive to be obedient. Is that how you, yes. how you break it? 